My name is Jimmy Barney, and I play the role of stage manager in Queensland Theatre's production of Our Town by Thornton Wilder. I want you to remember what it was like to have been very young, in particular when you were first in love. Yes, you were a person sleepwalking and didn't quite see the streets you were in, didn't quite hear what was said to you. You're a little bit... You're a little bit... crazy. (laughs) Will you remember that, please? Hi, you're listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time podcast. Let me set the scene. Our Town by Thornton Wilder is a celebration of community. Set in the fictional village of Grover's Corner, we're introduced to a cast of characters both young and old. Guided by the stage manager character, we're immersed in the everyday occurrences of a small town. And through this narrative, we're reminded that life can be cherished not only for its big events, but also for the special moments in day-to-day living. In this episode, two of our youngest and one of our most seasoned cast members join our artistic director, Lee Lewis, to share how they've personally connected with Thornton's timeless script. Enjoy! Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Quality Time with QT. Last year, when we were completely shut down, we thought we have to actually stay in touch with our artists and our audiences. So we started a, started a series of podcasts that were about QT and the work that we do. And people have enjoyed them so much that they said, please keep going with the podcasts. So we are. But now we're back, actually, in the rehearsal room with uh, our production of Our Town. So it's my great pleasure to introduce you to a group of artists from inside the play. What you have to understand about Our Town, okay, is not only that we have 16 actors involved in the production, but that the story itself, for those of you who don't know the play, was written back in 1938 by Thornton Wilder, and it's set at the turn of the century in America. But we are taking the production and setting it in Australia in a near future, a near future where possibly the virus has gone worse than we are currently managing in Australia, where things have fallen apart more than we're experiencing here. Anyway, that's what's hanging around the idea of our town at the moment, a world in the near future where things haven't gone so well and where a group of people come into a theatre to find shelter for the night and happen to find a, a copy of our town and led by the inimitable Jimmy Barney, one of Australia's greatest storytellers, they they start playing out the play of our town. And our town is set in a small country town and it has young and old characters. It starts with the birth of twins uh, and it, it really is a portrait of a small community, uh, the young and the old and the halfway in between and all the, the troubles and concerns and fears and, and hopes of those people. It's a very gentle play, which is a very lovely one to be doing at this particular time. I think we need a bit of gentle and a little bit of belief in community and love. And what we did was gather together a beautiful group of actors who haven't been in a rehearsal room together for oh, a year. I haven't made a show in a year. So we're blowing off the cobwebs of process and getting back into that thing that we love doing so much, which is still in 
telling stories. So the group of cast members from our town that I have with me, I'm going to get you to introduce yourselves and give me a little bit of why you said yes to this. Well, my name's Mia Foley. For me, it really wasn't a, a like a question. I mean, it was an of course. <laughs> I mean... This is really since starting at QT, which was a year ago, like with the youth ensemble and everything. This is really what I've been striving for. I never thought it would happen, but when it did, mine really fell off my chair. So you remember the youth ensemble? Yeah. And you've been with us for a year in the ensemble or I've longer? I've been in the ensemble for a year. Yes. yes. Okay. My first sort of exposure to QT. Okay. And so... Uh, you were recommended to me by Travis Dowling, who I heads Bless. up. Yeah, heads up the uh, the teaching side of the youth and education yeah. program, and uh, he said, "No, I think she'll be great." I'm like, "Okay." So rather than going into an audition process with our young characters in the play, we decided to actually just approach members of our youth ensemble who we thought would be up for it, ready for it, and would really thrive in an environment that is a sort of, sort of a crazy space, isn't it? Yeah, uh, a rehearsal room. So, mm. uh, so. You had you heard of the play? No. No? Mm-mm. No? Did you read the play before saying yeah. yes? Okay. What did you think of the oh, play when you first read it? No, well, when I when I had that meeting with you, I, I was 57 pages in. Okay. But it was a yes <laughs> by like page three. So, <laughs> what, what, what did you like about it by page three? Well, even like within the well, first act, not quite sure of the first three pages, but you can just tell that there's such a strong sense of community and how integrated everybody's lives is with one another in a small town and that sort of dynamic. I mean, I've never grown up in a small town. I've only lived in Brisbane and Hong Kong and neither of those places. No, you wouldn't small. call either of those small towns, no? No, no. <laughs> um, so it was, very, it was very different for me trying to understand the dynamic of, of how small towns work in the community and how each, each neighbour is connected and each street has a, has a you know, mm. all that sort of thing. So, yeah. So that, the thought of the thought of jumping into that story was attractive in this particular time. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, very nice. Very and what nice. about you, Luca? A little bit of an introduction to you. My name is Luca Klein. I am part of the Young Artists Program for Queensland Theatre. And why I said yes to it was, I. It was sort of really a big thing for me. So as Mia said, it wasn't really a question for me. I was just like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like it's definitely a big part for me. I reckon because. I'm just very interested by the play itself and how close the community is, as Mia said, with everybody, like everybody's like together. And especially during a time like this, I reckon it'd be good to put on a show where people are close together in time of like crisis. Yeah. Okay, so you're both playing two of the youngest characters in the play, Rebecca and Wally. Rebecca is George's sister and Wally is Emily's brother. And so for me, you were, you're representing, if you like, the youngest, the youngest voices in our community. And they're not enormous roles, but they're quite significant in the scheme of the breadth of community. And there's a huge shift in gears when the young people enter on to, into the stage in the story. Suddenly there's a little bit of, there's energy and chaos and you kind of go, and while the parents can, parents can find that energy and chaos exhausting and that's a layer of the story, the audience I find comes alive when the young people come on stage. And I think that's something that we always experience when you see young performers on stage. Now, I want to turn to you, Roxanne McDonald. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you played in a Thornton Wilder play before at U2. Two. Two. Oh, but not at, not at, hang on, where was hang the on. other one? Yeah, Fountains Beyond. 
skin of our teeth and now our town. Yeah. Becoming a bit of a Thornton Wilder groupie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you had a, you had a bit more of a background in Thornton Wilder before this. So the, the idea landed on your desk and what did you think? Well, at first I, um, I you know, funny thing is I, I didn't even think about the other plays that they were from, were Thornton Wilder plays. I went, oh, gosh, you know, because, you know, like this, I'm talking oh, 20 years ago, I probably would have done Fountains Beyond. So to do another one, yeah, I, I just I just really love the way he writes about people. He writes in a way that is so clever because, you know, we, here we are thinking it, it, it could be X, Y and Z, but it's, you know, then it turns out to be something else. So he, he just has this really amazing sort of insight into the into people, I think. Or, yeah, I think so You know, too. how people can relate to each other and like I know with Fountains Beyond it was, it was about dispossession and I think because Wesley Enoch, he directed that one. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was this, this ragtag tag band of people, you know, I remember there was sand on the stage and, <laughs> and just this massive big pile of, you know, like rubbish type of thing. Like You're a, probably a still getting sand out from behind yes, you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> It does that, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. And, and that was quite poignant as well because, you know, yeah. some, someone does actually die in that one. And but he's not afraid of that, is he? No. The, the tough things. They happen yes. as part of life. Yes. And he, he's quite amazing in his way of writing about that. He's not, uh, he doesn't use that sort of stuff as dramatic climax so mm. much as just the material of life that we have to sort of deal yes. with. And, and I think with our town, I I said yes, because it's so relevant for now. It's it's such a, a Strange, really isn't it? important piece of theatre for now, for, for what we're dealing with. It's like he's, he's had a sort of a, you know, premonition in a way about coronavirus and how how we as human beings really need to treat each other a bit, you know, a yeah. bit better than we have, you yeah. know, and it makes us stop and think yeah. and it puts that, it pushes that sort of pause button and um, so he's sort of managed to to do that in this play. Well, there's a bit of wisdom inside it, I think, from, you know, a man who'd lived through World War One. Through, through the Spanish flu, yes. <laughs> through the, the depression. Yes. There's a little bit of wisdom that just says we have to yes. actually take care of each other. The yes. only thing we can really do is take care of each other. Yeah. And he manages to do it without being sappy. No. In no. a funny way. And it, he was very, he was quite influenced in that whole time, was quite influenced by Brecht. The, the ideas that Brecht was playing with were jangling around the globe, theatrically speaking. Mm-hmm. And he was really using, a, a, in a very American way, using some of Brecht's techniques, if you like, for breaking the breaking the flow mm-hmm. so that you don't just get swept away in a story and don't think about it. He yes. wanted us to think about it. Yes. And d- he, he gives us a whole lot of voices. Mm-hmm. There are, in our production, which is actually quite a little production for a production of Our Town, where people are doubling and, and I'm do- mm-hmm. there are a few slides of hand insofar as casting, there are a lot of different voices. You don't speak very much in the play, Luca, but the energy of you as you're sitting and watching what's actually happening is incredibly important. What do you think he's actually trying to inject into the play with this young young boy? Well, I think because he's trying to provide a wide, like, contrast between, like, age-wise and how they're coping with things. Because later in the play, Wally has trouble with smoking. And so I'm sort of thinking in my mind as it's going through my head, I'm like, could this be ways he's coping through such trauma or is it a way so he can stand out to his parents or like give them a signal about something? I just think 
what he mostly incorporated into that play well was just how a community copes through things regardless of ages. Yeah. How different ages cope at different paces yeah. throughout things. Like while he dies, yeah, it's Oh, tragic. spoiler. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> but, yeah, look, there's a, there's a fascinating moment towards the end of Act One where uh, your uh, dad in the play, mm. Mr Webb, the editor of the local newspaper, has a conversation with the policeman who's walking through the street at night making sure, like, things are shut up tight, you know, that uh, no untoward behaviour happening. And they encounter the choir master, Simon Stimson, who has an alcohol problem. And it's this really heartbreaking moment where there are people in our community who are struggling and we don't know how to help. We, we try, but we sort of fail. Anyway, as, as Simon Stimson staggers off into the night, we know his wife is looking for him. We know he'll be okay. But the, the conversation turns between your dad and the, the policeman to, oh, my boy's not smoking, is he? And this is just after having seen Dad have a cigarette. <laughs> so he's worried about him. And it's that funny thing about, and it's, there's nothing direct in it, but in worrying about your kids, it's a question of how things end. As they mm. look at a man, as they go, how will that end? And the mm. thought is probably not well. Yeah. The worry turns to the young and kind of go, how are we taking care of them? How are we keeping an eye on them? Making sure that small problems don't end up being big problems. And it's really gentle. And he's not forcing it down your throat. It's just there for you to see. And I think if you're a parent, if you've been a son or a daughter or you are a parent of a son or a daughter or a grandparent, you'll actually have lived through these little experiences. And in a small country town, you've got young people who go, oh, I wish I wish people didn't know my business so much. <laughs> Yeah, yes. and your your yeah. character, Roxanne, Mrs. Soames, she's actually one of, she's my favourite character yeah. on stage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she just is because she's that voice of knowing what's going on in the country town. Yes. And there's this great conversation between you and the ladies of the choir yes. as you walk home. Yes. And, again, it's circling around one of the problems of the, yes. of the play. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't know if it's a sort of a, yeah, they, they they're just trying to put a lid on things. Like everything's okay, you know. Don't don't make a big deal about things, you know. So it's um, and I think that can be said with a lot of you know a lot of things maybe in our community. I'm not speaking for all people, no. but but you know it's like oh you know it'll be all right, you know. It's always that you know that we're going to handle that, or you yeah. know it's um. Trusting communities, yeah. isn't it? It's about yeah. trusting communities to to know each other and take care of each other. Yes, and. It, and look, in a time of governments around the world sort of flailing mm. as they try and figure out how to take care of people because they've kind of got out of the way of that. The yes. economy-led idea of the last sort of 20, 30 years has meant we've, governments have, have been less focused on caring for people and make, as opposed to making sure there's money. Yes. You know, that, that we talk about more about deficits than yes. we do about care in a yes. funny way. And, and it's coming... A, Sort of coming home to us yeah. at the moment, where we've got worries about yeah. about our healthcare system being able to cope with all of this. Yeah. But I mean, that's the those are the sorts of conversations that the play takes you into mm-hmm. and makes you think about. And really, again, he wants you to think. So it's been a very conversational rehearsal room. And I wanted to uh, I want to hear from from the two of you about what you think that that sort of process is, what that's been like for you two. 
because you've been in a room with a whole range of, of actors from the Brisbane community. Um, some of them you've seen on stage as you've been, you know, growing up and coming to the theatre. Um, what's it been like? Well, I mean, I suppose that, that that whole sort of discussion period that we had, I mean, it was very insightful, very thought-provoking, even like with what we were just saying now, just discussing things about the play, like with Simon Stimson, it also sort of connects with that putting a lid on the whole men's mental health thing that's recently sort of come up again and people are sort of starting to, you know, be more aware that it's actually a much bigger problem that we than we at first sort of recognised a couple of years ago, um, which I thought was very interesting. Like for me, I don't know about you, Luca, but I've never had an experience in a rehearsal room where we just sort of sit down and talk about every single last detail of every single page. Yeah, it's the play. same with me, yeah. it's, I've never done that. But that was the, like, I have not learned so much in such a small amount of time about a play ever. It's funny, those conversations, because for me, they're not only about learning about the play, but it's about all of the actors learning about each other. Mm-hmm. Because really you have to go from, it's a, it's a weird job we have. We go from a group of people who don't really know each other. Maybe you've worked together on something. Your paths have crossed before with Jimmy through your dad's work, yes. Luca. Yeah? Yes. So, you know, there are yeah. points of familiarity, but essentially a group of people that don't know each other very well and probably even if you have worked with each other, haven't seen each other, it would be like, oh, five years since we did that show, you know. Yes. So, so really for me we have to go from, acquaintance to representing families in four weeks. Yes. So it's this, this thing of how do we actually hear from each other so that we know who we're working with? Because that's just as important as the words of the playwright. There are, I think, I don't know who said it, but I always, I always remember it, not who spoke, but the words. They said that the audience always sees two plays. They see the play written by the playwright and then the play written by the actors. So you're seeing the life of the actors at the same time as you're seeing the fictional life they're creating. So there are two, like two story spirits that sort of move in the room and they're equally important. I always thought that if there's a a group of people that are not actually interested in working together, being together for that period of time each night, the audience can tell. Mm. And we don't, it's it's like not completely obvious, but you kind of go, oh, there was something not quite there. And I think that's that second spirit. And it's actually about a room of people kind of going, oh, we know why we're here. And, you know, not everybody has to love each other. It's not that. It's not as uh, hippie as that. It's more just we all know why we're here and we... Uh, we kind of go, oh, I think that person's actually giving me information at that point that I wouldn't have got if they weren't playing that part. So you kind of got to listen, like in that in that first period of time, you go, oh my God, they're so smart. Because everybody brings their human experience, right? And you go, oh yeah, right. I'd never even thought of that before. And that's the point where I start to relax as a director because directing is awful. The night before re- first day of rehearsal is horrible because yeah. you kind of go, you, it's been living in your head for so long by yourself. Mm. And then you're going, oh, I don't know this and I don't know that and I don't know this. And then as soon as I get into the rehearsal room, suddenly there are all of these other intelligences in the room. You go, oh, of course, I remember. I don't have to solve everything myself. Everybody else's, that's everybody else's job. <laughs> uh, so that, that conversation that started on day one with a group of actors who hadn't made work in over a year and who'd been dealing like everybody else with COVID, <laughs> with all, all what that means for all the different families. It was, the, I suppose, the first time a, a, a large cast had been able to get back together and go, hey, how are you going? And that started to feed into the play. And without it being 
a favoritism exercise. I'm curious to see who, who, whose stories, not the personal stories, but the play stories you've been drawn to. Who have you found yourself watching more? Um, I think mainly Jimmy. Yeah. Because he is so good at storytelling. Like and features. Jimmy Bunny's playing the stage manager. Yes. Which is one of the great roles on the planet. Yes. I have to tell you a little bit, I'll let you in a little bit of a secret. It's probably not so much of a secret. I saw Jimmy in one of Shakespeare's plays. I saw him do Romeo and Juliet down uh, at SDC. Wayne Blair directed a production for the education program. And that was the first time I'd seen Jimmy on stage. And it was he was playing the prince. And at the beginning in the dark, this voice came out and he was so amazing. I just remember going, oh my God, who are you? It was the first time in Australia I'd seen true Australian royalty, the voice of a, you know, a future king standing on stage. And I was like, oh, blown away. And he also played Friar Lawrence. And I think he also contributed an enormous amount to that production insofar as cultural dance. And it was a beautiful production. I wish they would do it again. It was so beautiful. I still remember moments of it so vividly. Ursula Jovic was in that and Jimmy. And uh, from that point, it was a bit of wish fulfillment for me to work with Jimmy. So I've been sa- I've been saving up my wish. And coming up here, it was number one on, on my list of must-dos was work with Jimmy. So adding him together with this play in playing the role of the stage manager, that's my wish. So that's where you've been drawn? Yeah. He, he's just so good with his storytelling. Like it pretty much runs through your head when he talks about it. It's just beautiful. Yeah. But he has very many interesting stories to tell. Yeah. And he's just got that natural talent of just talking to people about yes. like his life experiences and I love it. It's yeah. amazing. There are some people and oh, I, I think jealous, they just – you naturally can't take your eyes off them. And we don't know what it is. We try and come up with all sorts of phrases to describe (laughs) it and that sort of stuff. But there's a little bit of theatre magic inside some people. And that's where we go, they're natural storytellers and this sort of stuff. We just find ourselves listening to them. And we can't help it. And, yes, hideously manipulative of me as a director to say you're the stage manager and, (laughs) and use that talent. But, again, I think in not having had our actors on stage, I think... We need as an audience to be reminded of how precious that storytelling gift is and that we do need to take care of our storytellers because of not only the stories they carry but the capacity to tell a story. Yes. You know, if we don't use it, we lose it, right? Yes, that's right. And so for me that that thing of the the first character, if you like, that we encounter in this play is the storyteller, Jimmy, the stage manager. And... I think from there the whole play starts to spin out because in our in our telling he invites everybody into the into the world. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the first people he seconds into telling yes. the story is you, Roxanne, right? But it's not with Mrs. Soames, is it? No. It's with Joe. Joe Crowell Jr. Jr. <laughs> who is eleven. <laughs> and he is a male. <laughs> so yes, um, that one sort of uh, typecast again, <laughs> yes, right? Typecast again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to playing young, you know, male characters. <laughs> so no, it's um, and it, I don't know, just just how we just can can transform and take on, you know, like a young, you know, young person as well, or, or, or the essence of a young essence person, of a young person. You know, try to. Now, grab I've seen you do this a few times before. I, I remember being up in Darwin when you first did Head Full of Love. 
Yes. Um, and watching you play a number of a number of characters in that as well. Yes. Um, so often, often plays will ask performers to play multiple roles, and there are some people who are very good at it, and where we love watching them transform, and that's always been for you, for me, as as a as a happy audience member watching you work. And so it was really funny in looking at how this was how this began. I didn't know much, and I said this on the first day of rehearsal, I don't know much about who's going to be playing all of the smaller characters, but I do know that the first one, Joe Crowell Jr., is Roxanne, and she was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's something in that moment where you put on that baseball cap and suddenly oh. you're a paper boy yes. that actually just opens up a possibility for what yes. theatre is, which yes. you can never do on film. That's right. Never would. Yes. Oh, that's I say never would. There are some amazingly talented filmmakers and maybe they'll play in that space. But there's yes. a, a freedom in theatre that I think we need to celebrate. Yeah. That we're not always tied to the real. That's right. And that that the audience somehow can take you, Roxanne, and go, okay, you're a 10-year-old paper boy. Yep. Um, and I, then I play his brother, Cy, as well. So, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> covering two, all bases. Very opinion. <laughs> Two very opinionated young men. <laughs> yes, two very opinionated young men. One of them is Joe is quite unhappy to be losing his teacher who yes, uh, is getting married. married. Yes. And in those days, if you got married, you had to stop working. Yes, that's right. As a woman. Yes. So, um, and he's not too happy about that. It's a great line that he says, isn't it, um, okay. about, what does he say about, I think if you. I think if you're a teacher, you want to stay one. Yeah, you got to stay like one. Yeah. You should. You want to stay one. Yeah. yeah. You start out being a teacher. She ought to stay one. Yeah. And, you know, he so thought yeah. while is putting a little bit of politics yeah. inside the voice yeah. of a young boy who goes, I don't know why she'd have to stop because yeah. he's going to miss his teacher. He goes, why does she have to stop just because she's getting married? And That's that right. was a, you know, that was a question a lot of women were asking mm. it, you know, uh-huh. at the turn of the century. Why yeah. do I have to stop? Right. So they were in the middle of actually transforming a position of women in society. But it's interesting that he puts that bit of logic yeah. In the in the mouth of the young, uh, one of the youngest characters yes. that we see on the stage, and sometimes it's all that, isn't it? Out yeah. of the mouths of babes, yeah. And some it, great wisdom comes, you know. Yeah, because I can see things a little bit. You know, sometimes I can see things a bit clearer than us. Sometimes, well, logic. You know? They've got a logic. Why? Yes. And if, sometimes the world doesn't have a good answer. No. You know that funny with you? Go well. Why is that? And you go and. People go, oh, just, just, I don't know, eat your breakfast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, is the answer to you. Yeah. Because actually it's a re- the why is a reasonable ask mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't have a good reason why it just is. And that was a lot to do with women before mm-hmm. they could vote, before they could own property, yeah. before they could have a profession. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why? Just eat your breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> was, was society's answer essentially. You just kind of got to go with it. And yeah. that's what we, where we rely on people pushing against that lack of reason across time. What's it like for you? Like, you no, know, looking across time to a time when women couldn't, you know, because there's Emily who is your next door neighbour and Emily's a, the smartest girl in school. That's mm-hmm. what the play says, right? Yeah. She's the smartest girl in school and she's not going off to college. She's not thinking in that way. What's that like for you as a story to encounter? I think that, I mean, it frustrates me really that people had to live in a time like that where they could be so gifted and wouldn't have the rights or the resources or the, you know, opportunities based on like where they live or, you know, things like that to pursue things that they were very capable of. And for girls, that happened all the time because by society's, you know, norms, other things were more important, like staying back and having kids and and then looking after the kids. I think that I really admire a lot of the female characters in this play. Like 
Mrs. Webb and Mrs. Gibbs because like the stage manager says, for 20 years and 40 years, they came down and made breakfast every single day for their family and they just don't And stop. lunch and dinner. And lunch and dinner. And they don't stop. They don't, they don't stop for a minute. Like the work all mm. that they're expected to do is, is, is work to look after and sustain for their kids while their husband is out um, earning money. And I, I don't quite like that setup. I don't like that at all. I'm very glad I don't live in a time like that. Yeah, it's interesting, is it? Because I'm very conscious in moments like this that we're, we are living in a, a very, I would call it a very thin skin of privilege. The freedom that I've had as a woman to pursue a career, to make certain choices, is not available to women around the world. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. I live, you know, in Australia where there was good education without having to be super rich, <laughs> where there's yeah. good health care without having to be super rich. So I've lived yes. through things that have allowed me, by virtue of the society supporting me, to to have freedoms that a lot of women don't have. You kind of look yes. around the world and you kind of, I'm, I'm conscious at the time that we're doing this play that I, just when we started, I think the, the young woman who'd been uh, advocating for women's right to drive in Saudi oh, Arabia has been imprisoned. Yeah, and you yeah, go. So in Saudi Arabia, so... women are not allowed to drive, and you kind of go. And I, you know, in that conversation, I'm a Republican out through and through. But you know, I love the fact that Queen Elizabeth took the chance to drive <laughs> the head of Saudi Arabia around just to prove that women yes. do and can yes. and are capable. Yes. And you kind of go. Everyone needs to work on women's rights mm-hmm. around the world. You can't just sit in the country that you are yeah. are in with the privilege and kind of go. Oh, we're good now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, And it's that funny thing of, it's funny, for a non-political play, it's a very political, political play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come across as one, does it? You sit there and it's it's actually just, it's simple and Normality, fun and normal. There's other side to it huh. that you can see from a different view, like the political side of it and then it's just something else. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and. I think some of the best plays do that. They crack open politics without seeming to because they get around. We've got, we're really clever as audiences. We've, we've built up a lot of defences against political plays because mm. we kind of we go, well, we've got our beliefs and we don't necessarily, we like what they are and we're good at sitting in the audience and protecting ourselves from those sneaky playwrights. So the best playwrights will actually make a play that doesn't seem like politics at all, but actually it'll seep into you and get around those obstacles inside you so that you actually find yourself thinking about important things without actually knowing that you're thinking about important things. And that's what I'm hoping for for this play. And that's sort of what I started to see in the first week Mm. is, you know, simple, simple scenes, like mum, I keep coming back to that. The kids come down for breakfast and, you know, you've got a young girl going, I'm the smartest girl in school. And her brother going, well, I'm smart when I look at my stamp collection. And they're just, and their mum's like, eat your breakfast. And while he's trying to read a book because he's got to know everything about Canada before 10 o'clock in the morning, right, before that class. And and you're taken back to that thing of, for me, that thing of when you're in, in school and you have to jam so much in your brain in a short period of time. And we were talking before about, you know, what, what some of the things you did in COVID and you were talking about having to learn to juggle. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> drama. <laughs> for yes. drama, right? Yeah. Uh, we did a circus performance and it was compulsory to juggle. So we all had to juggle. But unfortunately, most of the kids in my class were actually unable to. And so there was only a small group of kids in that class that were able to and I was one of them. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Things you can learn through a time of crisis is just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. 
No, but it's that funny thing, isn't it? You're expected to absorb a huge amount of of information and to execute, a, learn how to execute a lot of different physical skills within a relatively short space of time. And then once you're through that, we go, okay, off you go then. <laughs> Just put it over there. Put it over there. But, <laughs> yeah. but then also that thing of we, st- we, we lose that capacity to learn. Yeah. Although you were saying, Roxanne, during last year, you, you learned to sew. Yes. <laughs> I was given a sewing machine by a very lovely person and um, I have a neighbour who um, is a seam- was a seamstress and um, so she came over. I said, oh, could you come over? And we had some little, you know, sessions together. I thought, I just want to, I just want to sew up a hem. I just want to hem up a curtain that, you know, I don't want anything fancy. I don't want to be, you know, like just practical, you know, sort of stuff because, you know, you, you send them up to the, you know, the um, places to sew, you know, sew the things for you and, you know, they, you, you're looking at $18, $20 or something, you know, just to get a, a hem stitched Stitch, up. Yeah. So I thought, I could do that. So um, <laughs> for someone who hated sewing in school, I, you know, then picked it up and she was great. She taught me all these great little tips and tricks and, yeah. yeah. So two neighbours and there you are sewing and you kind of go again, we're right back in the, the our That's town it. world, isn't it? That's it's it. your neighbours. Yes. You know, we're back to the world of neighbours and caring for each other and learning from each other and, and that, that's why I kind of go there's, there's a fit of this play for the time that we're in because people have had lots of small yes. stories like yes. that that have reminded them. And, it's, and we've lost that sharing sort of, you know, thing that we used to have. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember growing up, you know, we'd, we'd, you know, it's funny you say, oh, I just want to borrow a cup of sugar. You could just go over next door and say, oh, could we, you know, borrow a cup of sugar or eggs or whatever if we, you know, didn't have any yeah. for whatever we were cooking. Um, you know, and people doing things like, you know, like a bit of a transfer. I'll buy do that for you. I'll, well, I think, I'll do this for you. Yeah, you know? and I, I saw a bit of that last year with like people who were, you know, running out of flour. Yeah, yeah. and were baking bread and things like that because, you know, they were tr- doing things a little bit differently and people yeah. sharing because they bought big bags of flour and just sharing them as opposed to, oh, yes. I'll just pop down to the supermarket now. Yeah. You know, things like right. that. Yeah. And it's like with the Anzac time too when we all had to come out on our driveways. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for the, for the, um, remember the service. service. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really know my neighbors over the road. And I came over and I said, Oh, hello. My, yeah. I'm, you know, Roxanne. And, and she introduced herself to me. And then now we're, Hey, yeah. hello. You know, it just makes the texture of the day better, doesn't it? Oh, you know, we just sort of be busy at doing our stuff. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you don't even notice people. And it's like, bit in the, you know, sort yeah. of, life imitating art in this yeah. one. It's like, yeah. yeah, you don't notice things. Yeah. Well, this one, I mean, that's what the play is all about, isn't it? In the rush of our everyday lives that we don't, mm. we, don't we don't take time to look at each other, no. to actually see each other. And maybe I hope, you know, in that thing of what's come out of 2020, I have to, I have to do some publicity for the play. And there was a question like, what came out of 2020 for you? And I've been thinking about that. And maybe it's just that thing of the reminder to take just a little bit more time just to see people. Just to kind of check in and kind of go, are you okay? And know that it's yeah. it's good to ask, and that you know someone might may well say, yeah, I'm fine. What are you talking about? You know what? You lost nothing by asking. And there was a great thing um, back when QPAC was closed. Now, you know those big billboards out onto the yeah. river, and there's amazing screens, and they're so vivid. And it was funny in that time when there wasn't anything to advertise. What they chose to put up, and there was something that just said, smile at someone. 
And I was like, oh, oh that's so nice. Yeah, I know. I got a bit weepy while I was crossing the bridge <laughs> reading that. But it was that funny thing. It just reminded me. And honest to God, on the bridge, I just decided to start smiling more at people just as you went by. And it was this really funny thing about people started to smile more at each other because, you know, you couldn't stop and talk. Yeah. Everybody's staying separate and all of that sort of stuff. But you can smile. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. And I kind of felt that that was something I remembered and it's not that I wasn't smiling before. You know, I'm not the, I'm not the grimmest person in the world. <laughs> but, but just those reminders. And, and weirdly, and maybe that's why I was drawn to this play. It was probably around about the same time I was trying to figure out what plays we could do this year. And you go, what do we need? We just need more reminders. And also reminders that we've survived big things before. Yeah. And we will again. And we will again. Mm-hmm. And the way we get through it is with the people around us. That's it. You know, and I know that people have been you know, separated by borders and that sort of stuff, which has made the being together hard. But maybe it's also reminded us us of how much that matters more than, I don't know, the holiday overseas and that sort of stuff. Going to new places is always fun, but maybe going to the old places with with the old people is actually something that we should value. I don't know. Yes. But the play does that to you. It sends you down all of these different paths. What's your favourite moment in the play so far? The scene with Rebecca and George on the ladder because yeah. I think that is just such a a nice moment, I think. A sort of a, a flicker of brother-sister love, yeah. I think. Because they're both sitting sitting at his window looking out at the moon, which yeah. is particularly large on this night. Mm-hmm. And it's just wonderful, isn't and it's it? it's amazing yeah. how close the moon is. You know, some nights you look out and it's really close. And I, yeah. I don't understand the physics of it well enough to understand why it's not closer, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just looks close. looks close. <laughs> yeah. You go, wow, it's huge tonight. Yeah. And Rebecca's talking about a letter, isn't she, that was sent yeah. to a friend of hers or a school friend of hers. Yeah, yeah. And what was on the letter? How was it addressed? It was Jane Crowfoot, the Crowfoot Farm, Grover's Corners, Sutton County, New Hampshire, United States of America. Yeah. And then it went United States of America, the continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the Earth, the solar system, the universe, and the mind of God. Yeah, so it just gets bigger and bigger. The concept, there's this little girl sitting in a window and it's kind of like he invented the pull-out shot. You know that pull-out shot in the movie where you just start with like a little face and you go and and you've got the window and then you've got the the house and you've got the trees above the house and then you pull out even further and you can see the globe, Mm. you can see Earth, Mm -hmm. like the NASA photo, and then you can see the solar system and then what that question of what's beyond. It's kind of... Where it's like you're... you're, It kind of reminds me of being like a little pod and you're just shooting, shooting. Far out, so yeah. he's he's kind of, kind of makes the film moment for you yeah. with just that little string where you kind of go bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And he does this thing where the play is all about little little things. Ultimately, it's his sister sitting at a window with her brother talking about a letter. But suddenly, we're thinking about the universe, mm. their place in the universe, and mm. it's kind of amazing the scale shifts that he makes us do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's one of my favorite bits too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you, Luca? I like the discussion between Mr. Webb and George. Just oh. that, like, oh. just that awkward <laughs> moment where I can, I'm like, because I have a girlfriend myself. And so when you have that awkward discussion, it's just so relatable to some people. Where yeah. It's just like, ah, and then, like, it's just that awkward silence for a moment. And you're like, 
oh, I remember that. Oh, it's, yeah. How do you talk to your just, girlfriend's dad? Exactly. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> it's just that awkward moment that members of the audience can relate to so easily. It's just Everybody's like, been in love everybody. with someone and had to talk to their parents. So they're just interrogating you like, so what do you do? <laughs> just, just like, oh, you're inside. You're just like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh. and on the paper, on the page, it doesn't seem that complicated, no, does it? Doesn't. But the heart of the moment is so complicated. Like you're saying, inside you're dying. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't know what to say, and you want to make them like happy about you that she has you. And yeah, yeah. And of course, it's amplified because that scene is like the morning of the wedding. Mm. So George is marrying your sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just that pressure that sits on your shoulders before that big yeah. day comes is. Yeah, unreal. But it's been it's, it's always that funny thing, isn't it? Different experiences in the in the yeah. cast. Yeah. Sometimes as an actor, you're playing the morning of your wedding, and I'm pretty sure Jaden hasn't been married. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's yeah. that funny thing. So it's that funny conversation between like the people who have been married, what that time is, what yes. that moment is. I found myself talking about just how crazy everybody gets on the day of a wedding. Yes. Just a bit crazy. Yes, and. You start sharing bits of experience to actually help the other actor because I, I'm a I'm a great believer in you don't have to have lived it to act it. Mm. You have to imagine big, yes. <laughs> and you yeah. have to have a kind of sensibility that allows you to let the possibility of other people's pain in, pain and joy. But you've got to imagine other people's pain and joy, and sometimes it's hard enough to under, like imagine yes. our own. Mm. So letting that in and, and that funny thing, and and I'm not religious, but I always that thing the, of walking in the shoes of someone. Hmm. How do you walk in someone else's shoes? And if you have you ever actually done that, put on a pair of shoes that is really worn into another pair of feet, you can feel a different foot yeah, and a different step. One sometimes, and they, and they, yeah, yeah, like that. They're yeah, funny little, funny little know, bit, and they're uncomfortable. They don't yeah. actually support yeah. your feet well, and you. But you actually start to understand how that person walked, and so it's always stayed with me as a funny thing, both as an, an acting exercise, but also as a, a spirit thing. It says, how do we do that? And it's and while I absolutely understand, you know, how great authenticity can be, like when you've got direct personal understanding, especially in the writing of, of works, that thing of performance, mm-hmm. that thing of the tradition of actors is about transforming into someone else entirely. Yes. And what does it take to do that so that someone else believes it completely? And that's where you start using the other actors in the room. Hey, has that ever happened to you? What did that feel like? And anyone who's anyone who's uh, related to to actors lives in a household with actors. Is that they're they're kind of like sponges? They will soak up everything, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, you live in a in a house full of performers. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you know, I mean, that that thing of soaking in the world around you and seeing all the details. That's sort of what you have to do, right, to actually understand someone else's experience enough to play it. Yeah. But it's sometimes, it's sometimes funny when you're living with actors, the way you can feel them watching a moment, not just living it. Mm. It's like the actor guilt where you kind of go, oh. <laughs> uh, you put it away, you're in the middle of the fight, and you go, oh, that's how that moment happens. And you store it away in your actor yeah. brain. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Stop, stop thinking about performance. I always remember that. But um, So what other moments? What's your favourite moment? I think mine is George and Emily at the soda shop. Oh, yes, yeah. having an ice cream oh, soda. That <laughs> one. Cute. Oh, oh, it's me every time. It does me it's too. A, 
it's um, it's just just to see, like Luca mentioned, is that that awkwardness and that you know, and I don't know if it's the first time he's ever had a he's he's sort of in a way a little date with her. Was yeah. it's the first very time first time yeah they get they they go to the soda shop yeah so yeah it's it's sort of and you that, know. Kind dancing of, around each other, you know, like yeah. that sort of dance. We know what the yeah, dance is. We know what but, the dance is. We've all done know. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that one oh, just. I know. It's just so awful my, lovely, isn't it? My, my love strings or my, yeah, yeah, that's what it does. Oh, me too. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just that young love. It's that young, yeah. you know, I, I remember that, you know, yeah. way back. Yeah. When <laughs> <laughs> we do, it's so vivid, yes. and you just go, "Oh, I wouldn't go back there for Feelings. quids." It's so painful, yes. but I love watching it. Yeah. We're sort of cruel, aren't we? Really, <laughs> we love yeah. watching the pain and loveliness oh. of that. But that amazing, that amazing journey. We watch it happen live in front of us, moving from one of my best friends to someone I love. The realization in your body as it shifts, and you go, oh, "I'm in love with you," <gasps> and it's never, it's not said. No, exactly. And that's what I find so funny. Like everybody gets it. Yeah, Everyone yes. knows exactly what's going on, but they never say it once. Yeah. They never say it once. They just they just say this is an important conversation. Yes. And, and, we, oh, and it's having so a, like oh, cringe. Yeah. Oh God, it's so cute. Yeah, it's, it's so both cute. both of those things. Yeah, yeah it because is. They don't really want to like jump to conclusions or anything and they don't want to be too far back. So it's like it's an yeah. important conversation. Yeah. Just it's, right in the middle, just what you think, oh, they'll possibly like that. It's that moment where you go, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. Yeah. But, but actually saying that as a sentence is way mm. too, way too yeah. big. Yeah. Way yeah. too big. I call it love at 500th sight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the familiar becomes the precious. Yeah. You just want to sit up there in front of them and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take me back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It does. It does take you back and it also takes you forward. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this in our own time and in the time that it was in. He's a a magician, Thornton Wilder. And I kind of go, our best playwrights are. They do something to us that we could never imagine ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't write, but I love great writing. And you go, that's just, again, that gift, the preciousness of that gift and how much we have to treasure that. And creating words and characters that actors want to play, you kind of can't help but say yes because yes. you want to be there for it. Yeah. How do you and do that, that? And that, and the characters that the audience wrap, you know. Yeah. You want to wrap, the audience want to wrap their arms, arms around you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that everything has to be a love scene. No. That's not what makes you want to act, right? No. What is it that makes you actually want to play a character? I suppose majority of works that I've been in, you know, with plays, is I, I love to say something. Yeah. I like to be the mouthpiece. Oh, what's the name of the play just before? <laughs> but I like to be, you know, the mouthpiece or the or the, the vessel yeah. in which I can I can express what's being told, a, a, yeah. tell a story through my own interpretations or whatever yeah. I can as an actor bring to that character. Yeah. And I want to move people and I want to make them laugh and I want to make, you know, I want to do all those things. I want to, um, I want, to I want them to walk out of the theatre and go, gee, that was a great show, you know, and, you know, that we've done our job too, you know. it's um, And, and it's not being afraid. It's been I, I like things that challenge me too. Yeah. So when they challenge me, that's when I'm alive. Yeah, yeah. I come alive with it. Yeah. That's me. Do you know? 
Well, I mean, I seriously couldn't agree more with what Roxanne said. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's, I, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. In fact, I got an email yesterday from um, Kath Rose. and He's our publicist. He's yeah. our publicist, yes. And she sent me a couple of questions and stuff. And I, th- I think one of my answers to one of the questions she asked me was something like, you know, what drew you to acting and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. I was like, well, I, I, just, I just love being able to, to tell a story and to be able to show show this side of a of a another human or a fake human but a human who like just a whole other the story of them that that people can can go oh I could I could you know I see myself in that person or I know someone who reminds me of that person so I think if anything the reason that I say yes to playing a character or draws me to playing a character is just wanting to understand their story and then wanting other people to understand their story through me. Yeah, to like think of your own life experiences and adapt to their story and think, go back on my life and wonder, have I experienced this before? And kind of tell your own story through that character. So if you've experienced something like that before, then you could portray it in your own interpretation. That's what's beautiful about acting is that Every actor isn't the same. They have their own interpretation of everything. And whether it's really depending on what they've experienced in their life in general. And what their process is. But, yeah, there is – I've not met two actors the same on the planet ever. Everyone's got their own process, the way of coming to it. And there's a little bit of mystery inside it. (laughs) You know, I didn't grow up in a theatre family. I just – it was something I wanted to do. I found it really early and I always wanted to do it. What about you? Theatre family? Well, my great uncle was in a couple Queensland theatre performances back in the day. Really? Yeah, he was the, um, I don't want to get this wrong because I might, it might be just like, I don't know, like identity, like theft or something (laughs) if I say something wrong. But I think he was the arts minister of Queensland when this building was built. Matt Matt Foley? Foley. Yes. Yeah, that's my great uncle. You've met him? Yes. Oh, what do you know? Wow. Well, well. well. yeah. your name was Barry <laughs> Foley. Foley. He says we are the two artsy M Foley's. We have the same initials. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's yes. Uncle Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Oh. It's funny though, isn't it? That, that question of where does that impulse come from? Because sometimes you're born into it and sometimes it's something that you grow towards. And sometimes I think there are the people that grow up in a theatre family and are not theatre people at all that want to head in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So, again, I don't think it's I don't think it's genetic, but I think there are, I don't just know what something. it is. Something. With something. Sometimes I think similar it just, thought process you know, that just yeah. goes yeah. about them. Yeah. And if you have it, then you kind of got to, you got to pursue it. You got to <laughs> yeah, use it, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like I, I was like the shyest kid. Yeah. Like you could not get me up in front of people, no matter. No, no, no. I remember doing a show in um, high school. Yeah. We did pearly shells, and there were the a couple of the girls did the you know the dance and everything. And I sang. I said, I'm not putting no hula skirt. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, but I, this other student and myself, we had to sing the song. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of nights before it, I lost my voice. I was that nervous oh. to get up there and oh. sing. I, I lost my voice. But, but something changed. Something changed. I, I And I didn't get into theatre till I was about 24. Yeah, okay. So late, late in life. And I think I just had to experience a few things in life, yeah. get a bit more confidence, and then 
that's where I went. Yeah. But I've always, I always wanted, I knew I had to do something because yeah. my family said, because I had no, nobody in the family was ever in, into this. No, nobody sang, nobody acted, didn't like it. And um, I, I was just a real jokester kid. I'd play jokes on people, and, but it, only within my family. I wouldn't yeah. do it outside my family sort of thing. Yeah, right. Really, really close friends. So, <laughs> but, but now, oh, <laughs> get off the stage now. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a funny, it's a funny profession. It's kind of, an, it's an amazing profession, and I would say it's essential for the health of a community. That thing of bringing people together to listen to a story. Yes. How do we find out that we? belong together as a community, if not by all watching a story together and, and agreeing and disagreeing, having the conversation. It's that conversation afterwards that is the most important thing. But coming on the, on the heels of a year where we didn't get to do the thing that we're, that we're good at, <laughs> that we're meant to do on this planet, it feels like a, I don't know, fresh being, it's ironic to say that, a blast of fresh air being in a room with, with a lot of people. It yes. seems completely counterintuitive yes. as, a, <laughs> as a, a simile at the moment. But um, something in me relaxed. As soon as we came into that, that first day, that number of people, which was kind of a little bit overwhelming after <laughs> small rooms and small gatherings, to kind of go, 16 people in a room and we're going to tell a story together. Here we go. And it felt like coming home in a funny way. So... That seems like a that seems like an okay place to end. We've got to actually go and rehearse now. Yes, we do. To, you know, just talk about it. We've actually got to do it. Uh, but thank thank you to the three of you for being thank willing to talk a little words. bit about our town and yourselves and what it is that we do in this in this strange and kind of wonderful time. And thank you for being part of the the our town community and the and welcome to the Brisbane theatre community, both of you. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And everybody come along making, and see it. Yeah, making your <laughs> Queensland theatre debut. Oh, yes. my God. Stop. Yeah. I know, right? Too, yes. Like, to yeah. pinch me, Luca. <laughs> Quick, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, you, you still, you'll see them first here. So I look forward to seeing all of you who are listening in the audience for, for our town. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au, to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye! <laughs>